This morning we're in part three of a series, and our series is From Sunday to Every Day, and uh, we're talking about how we, how we move our values, our Christian values, and our Jubilee values that we hold together, how do we move them from, from Sunday morning, something we experience on a Sunday morning or on one day, into our everyday life? And we've talked about, our first one we talked about was uh, the redemptive news, so the good news or the gospel, and we talked about the relational journey, and that was about uh, how we walk with God and with people. And then we, this morning we're looking at the outward mission, and uh, it made me think of a story, and uh, it was of a a wealthy Christian woman who lived up in the highlands of uh, Kenya, up in Nairobi, and she told the story of uh, how she had a young national come and work as a houseboy around her property and, in, you know, in and out of the house and stuff. And uh, he did a good job. But after three months, he came and he asked her for a reference. He said, can I have a reference? I'm, I'm applying for a job as a houseboy to the, the wealthy sheik who lives down the road. And he was a nice guy, too. And so she said, oh, well, that's too bad. Like, uh, you, you've done a good job. Uh, can I raise your wage and keep you on? I'd like, you know, I'd like you not to go. And he said, oh, oh, it's not about the money. See, I decided that I was going to become either a Christian or a Muslim. And so I decided that I would get a job for a Christian for a few months and see how they live. And then I would get a job for a Muslim for a few months and see how they live. And the woman said, oh, And then she thought about the last few months and all the different things she did or said. And then she said, oh, I wish I'd have known that at the beginning. I might have done things differently, some things. And I think that that's how we are. I would like to know which things are important and which things aren't important. I'd like to know that right up from the outset. Like if you just told me, oh, yeah, this stuff, yeah, this isn't going to matter. That would be great. I'd like to know that. And then I wouldn't really focus on it and record, yeah, whatever. But this stuff, oh, this is going to be important. Oh, that person I met, they're going to be important later. Oh, good, I'll put on my best shirt and, you know, okay, that's good, important to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 19 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This morning, we're, lo- we're talking about becoming people who live and embody the mission of God. We're becoming people who live and embody the mission of God. What's the mission of God? There's this I thought it was a great movie, and then I started remembering it, and I'm like, it's probably a bit of a brutal movie, so I don't want to, like, endorse any movie, but there's a movie called The Mission, and it was done years and years ago, and I talked about it in a sermon once. I think someone came and said, I watched that movie. There's, like, a lot of incredible parts in that movie, you know. Okay, okay. So look at the rating and look up the review or whatever. But the movie is, has some really amazing parts to it, and it's the story of a Jesuit monk who, or Jesuit priest who goes and he, he 
makes a mission way up in the, in the hills up in South America. And he creates this mission and he, you know, a bunch of um, indigenous people come to know the Lord and they are part of this mission. And there's the enemy of this guy, this slave trader, his name's Rodrigo. And he goes and he, you know, kills people and he's violent. And, and then this guy who's against the mission and all it stands for, he ends up killing his brother in a fit of rage. And it just destroys him. He loved his brother and it, it just breaks him. He's just a shattered wreck. And then this priest, who's his enemy, comes and says, you know, will you come and join us and be part of our, what we're doing? And Rodrigo, this slave trader, finds redemption as a Jesuit priest. He comes and joins the order, and he begins to go through this process. Now, as they travel back up to where the mission is, Rodrigo knows he's going to face the very people he was enslaving. And so he's, he's just so ashamed. And so he takes all of his armor and all of his weapons. And as an act of penance, he puts them all into this big net. It's this huge ball. And then he, on the whole journey, he drags this ball. And, he's, and people try to help him. He says, no, I have to do this. And he drags it all the way along. It makes the journey so slow. Now, this mission is like above the falls. And it's like, it's impossible to get to just if you're climbing, you know? And he's there, and he climbs this, and then at one part, the, he can't even hold on to it. It drops and falls all the way down, and he, he goes down, and they're like, no, just leave it. No. And he goes down, and he gets it, and there's some indigenous people with them, and then there's this one part. And so he goes and gets it, and he's dragging it back, and then one of the guys comes over and starts yelling at him. And then he grabs his knife, and you're like, oh, my goodness, is he going to kill him, or what's going to happen? And then this guy goes over and he cuts the rope and the ball falls down into the, into the water and is gone. Who could do that but the person who'd been wronged? This is a beautiful picture of the mission of God. Verse 18 says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. I'm counting. I'm counting. I count. I can't forget. I know what I've done. I have a hard enough time with it. I'm like Rodrigo carrying this big pile of stuff I can't get rid of. I'm trying to make it right. Oh, okay, add another one. Oh, great. Yeah, I wronged you too. Okay, put it on the pile. I'm t- trying to make this. How do I make this right? And we drag this thing around. But in Christ, God was reconciling, not counting. Saving, not condemning. And Paul calls this the ministry of reconciliation, rescue and redemption. And Jesus was about this mission. This is what Jesus says. He comes on the scene and the first public thing he says is this. Luke chapter 4, our favorite verse in Jubilee. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Luke 19.10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And God, as the injured party, the, the one who was offended and the one who was wronged, the one we rebelled against, 
he came and he cut the cord and said, I'm taking care of this. He took our hand and he invited us into freedom. The year of favor, the age of grace. He says, come, I have something else for you. This is an everyday reconciliation. I have a friend who's a Catholic and I'm always joking, you know, hey, you should come to our church. And he's like, oh, you know I'm a Catholic, right? And I'm like, yeah, I know, but you don't really go to church very much. You should come to our church every week and you can go there on Easter, wherever you, whenever you go, you know. And so he, and then he jokes back with me. He says, well, then I'd have to give up confession. You know, I love confession. It's a great, it's a great system, right? Do you do whatever you want during the week and then you can go to confession and it's all made right. And it's great for me. You know, you don't, you don't have to be a good guy in that system. You can be a miserable screw up and you still get forgiveness. I say, we have the same grace as they do. It's the same grace is available. All miserable screw-ups are welcome here too. All spiritual failures and skeptics, all the heavy laden, all the tax collectors and sinners, come. We're, we're, doors are open. Come on in. But the lie in any system is that you can go back to your old life during the week. That's a lie in any system. That you can go back to some old thing. Paul says, you're a new creation. The old is gone. You can't go back to it. It doesn't work. The mission is an everyday reconciliation. This is not a Sunday to Sunday system, but an everyday life transformation. Jesus didn't die to forgive us on Sunday. Oh, you come out. Oh, there's the cross over there. Oh, yeah. and Oh, there's the communion table. Good. I'll get my forgiveness today. Oh, yeah, that's so good. This is an everyday experience. It transforms our waking, our eating, our walking around that life. And God is missional. Don't you think, don't you think the story of how God reconciled us in Scripture, don't you think that's a weird story a little bit? I mean, if it's not, maybe a little bit strange to you. You should take a step back from it and think about it the way people who don't know it think about it. It's a bit of a strange story, an interesting way for God to save us. He could have chosen any way, but the way he chose was this, that God comes to us, and then the most religious of us rejected him. We said, you're not religious enough, God. You're too loving. You're too generous and too gracious. You're not strict enough. You're not judgmental enough like we expected you would be. And then we killed him. And in that brutal and beautiful death, God was reconciling us to himself. He made peace between us. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, if we're confused about God, we're going to be confused about his mission. If we don't know who God is, the mission feels confusing. What are we doing here? What what does he want? So let's be clear. God came and found us. He's making things new. He redeems. He heals. He restores. He takes the unclean and makes it clean. He takes the unholy and makes it holy. That's what he does. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So his mission is my mission. I join God in the proclamation of grace. 
my Sunday mission is the same as my everyday mission, to proclaim the goodness and glory and grace and love of God. I like to call it my circle mission. I'll let you think about that for a second. What is a circle mission? I love everyday Jesus. Jesus, you just go, like, read through his life. This is Jesus. He's sitting at the well at the middle of the day. It's hot. He sent the disciples away. They're hungry, tired. Jesus has low blood sugar. He's maybe feeling irritable, which is why he sent all the disciples away. I don't know. I, he could have, he would have had low blood sugar sometimes. He was human. Okay. Maybe that, maybe John in that moment, John's like, I'll stay with you, Jesus. Jesus is like, no, why don't you guys all go right now? I mean, you bring back some food and this will be good. And he's sitting there at the well. It's just this moment. And then this lady starts walking to the well and she's a three striker. A three striker right off the bat. As soon as she gets close enough, you can see it's one. I already know. Firstly, she's a woman. He's a Jewish rabbi. Strike one. Strike two. She's Samaritan. This is a Samaritan village. Oh my goodness. Definitely strike two. That could be strike two and three. Strike two. And then she's coming at the middle of the day. There's no other women around because they all go together and they love to go together. And when one's coming alone, it says something. She's not allowed to go with the other ladies because she's of ill repute. It's the nicest way to say it. Jesus is there and then he starts talking to her. He has this conversation or Jesus walking in the crowd and it's busy and he's on his way somewhere. Someone's sick and dying and he's going somewhere and then someone in the crowd touches him and Jesus stops everyone and they all say, Jesus, keep going. Jesus says, no, no, stop, everyone stop. Someone touched me. And he makes the lady who touched him tell everyone how she was bleeding and she shouldn't even be there in the crowd touching people. She has to tell everyone about how she was healed. And the miracle. Jesus at the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's someone with a withered hand, and Jesus says, Is it okay for me to heal him or not, guys? And he does anyway. Or the hunchback woman on the Sabbath at the synagogue, over and over, he's healing people. The leper falls at his feet and he touches him. Then there's 10 lepers falling at his feet, and the one who comes back. There's the, the loud and unruly beggar, blind beggar. There's the vertically challenged tax collector up in the tree and Jesus stops everything and says, I'm going to your house for lunch, okay? Yeah, let's do that. We're going that way now. His friend in the tomb, dead because he took too long to get there. In between, he's telling stories to his friends and he's preaching to the crowd and he's debating with the Pharisees and he's eating at someone's house and then he's drinking at someone's house and he's walking somewhere, talking to someone, living his everyday life life. And Jesus in the upper room, after he washed his disciples' feet, said this to them, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I wish Jesus was like on an evangelistic crusade and he sold tickets and he had a big podcast and a Twitter following and then, then I could be like him when he says the servant shouldn't be greater than his master. So I'll just have a few fewer Twitter followers than you, Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. That wasn't what he did. He just lived the mission of God where he was and at times said, okay, now I'm going this way. 
and he was moving in a direction, living in the mission of God every day. George McLeod writes this, one of my favorite poems. I don't know if it's a poem. He says this, I simply argue that the cross be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm recovering the claim that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on a town garbage heap, at a crossroads so of politics, so cosmopolitan, they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek. And the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about. And that is where Christ's own ought to be and that is what church people ought to be about. If Jesus set the example that the mission is an everyday mission, then I won't need to go on some special trip just to find it. It will be in my spaces with my people that are around me where I live and learn and work and play. So how do I stop living like there's a star chart for saving souls? Maybe if you grew up in the church, it's in there somewhere. You deep down believe there's a star chart. Someone's keeping, some angel He might be in a back room in heaven, but there's a star chart angel. He's keeping track. And when I get there, I want to see how many stars I got on my chart. You know what? You and I, we have a circle of influence. There's people around us. And sometimes those circles, it feels like lots of circles. I say, oh, there's my church circle. And I talked about this the other week. I have the church circle. I've got the soccer circle. I've got this school circle. I've got this circle. I've got that. I've got my old, the old people I know, the old church and that circle and this circle. And oh my goodness, all these circles. But the truth is, it's just one circle for me because I'm in all of those circles. I'm the person who connects all of these things. They are all in my circle because I'm there. I'm the relationship that connects them all. Many years ago, I realized that I was a pastor and that I had my friends, and I looked into my circle and I realized that I didn't know any non-Christians. Like, I ran into some, some places, but like, I didn't know any. They weren't really in my circles. And I decided that that felt really insulated, too insulated for me to say that this is the mission of God and this is my mission, wow, that's too insulated. And so I began to think, what could I do? And Elijah was getting into soccer. I said, okay, I'm going to be a soccer coach. And so I started coaching soccer. And to be honest, I was soccer coaching. I'm like coaching kids. I'm trying not to yell at them and freak out and kill any of them. You know, and so like, and then they'd all go and the parents would leave. And I'd be like, I, what am I doing? This isn't like... I'm, how can I preach the gospel here? How, how am I going to do this? And year after year, I try to do this. And I'll get, do, do they even know I'm a pastor? I don't even know. Year after year, I, I just was like, I, I must be failing this. And then he moved on into a different level and I wasn't coaching. And they, they gave me this little thing. It was like, thanks, you're a great coach. It's like, ah, did I fail? We, we invited one of the, well, all the families as we started Jubilee. One family came. Oh, one family. Oh, And then you know what? At the last party we were at, guess who the people asking me? Hey, tell me about your church. Hey, tell me more about Jesus. Who's that? It's those people who called me 
a number of months ago and said, hey, we had this family we know and they're really at rock bottom and we told them they should go to your church. He said, you don't, you don't even know about our church. Like what? One of these families, the soccer family. I said, how do you, you're telling people to come to our church? Well, yeah. I said, how do you know it would be good for them? (laughs) She said, because we know you. Because we know you. I said, whoa, it wasn't a waste. That's called relationship. It takes time. It takes a lot of time to sow and to listen and to love people. The truth is that even Jesus doesn't talk about everyone everywhere. He talks about, in his prayer in John 17, he says this, I have revealed you, God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. It's an amazing sentence. It's in this long prayer Jesus prays. Easy to get lost in there. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Jesus was focused on those he'd been given. My question to you, and the question I ask as I look into my circle, who have I been given? Who's in the circle that God has given me to influence and to love and to share good news in all sorts of ways with? Where are the opportunities in my everyday life to live the ministry of reconciliation? Because people aren't targets. They're people. And people want to be seen and heard and loved. That's what they want. And each one has a story. And as you engage with people, and that was the soccer team over years, engaging with people, going to the party, going to that, going to this, sewing and sewing and sewing, and then people say, I believe you now. I'm not just a target to you. I'm a person that you love. How does Jesus live every day on mission? How does he do that? So we could say lots of things. There's three things that I'll highlight for us as we're trying to apply this. How do we do this? How do you and I do this? Firstly, Jesus lived in spirit opportunity. Everywhere you go, you see Jesus, he's, he's listening to the spirit. He's walking by the spirit. He's in tune. He's aware. There's opportunities everywhere. So God, what do you want me to do here? And then he's walking in it. How do I live in spirit opportunity or you live in spirit opportunity? The first thing is we pray. We start to say, God, I want to see the opportunities. I'm horrible. Lord, I talk about this all the time. You see it after. You come home and you go, oh, no, that was the opportunity. I missed it. Oh, no. Oh, that was, if I just said this and this, then, oh, they would have come to Jesus. We were like, whoa, yes. Like, oh, now it's after. I'm a failure. Like, just pray. We start to pray. We start to become more aware. We start to, that was an opportunity. Oh, Lord, help me jump into the next one. Secondly, Jesus lived boldly responding to the Spirit. It's another thing when we know the opportunity, we become aware. We say, this is an opportunity. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm going back this way because I'm not going to, I'd be embarrassing or I don't know what they're going to do. Jesus lives boldly. And so we ask the spirit for boldness. Where does that come from? It comes from his spirit. 
So we say, not only do I want to see opportunity, I want to act. You know, we talk about 20 seconds of insane courage or whatever the number is, but a few seconds of insane courage. Just, just I'm just going to say this. It might make me look like a total idiot. Oh, it worked. Whoa. And now we're going, we're, the, I'm in the opportunity. Okay, God, help me. Right? That's what it feels like. And you walk through it. Thirdly, Jesus invited and fourthly on the thing, he also went to find. So there's times where the disciples go and they tell someone, come and see, come and see Jesus. And they're inviting people to where Jesus is. And there's lots of other times where Jesus goes to where people are. And we need to be both these things. We need to have both of these realities that we become invitational people. We begin to invite people. Maybe first Maybe not to a Sunday gathering, if that's a stretch. Maybe it's just to your house or just a a party you're throwing or a neighborhood thing or whatever. We begin to invite. And then also, the other way we could phrase it, for to put a big word on it, would be to be incarnational. That we go and we are there with them. We are like God with flesh in this certain place. And we go to where they are and love them where they are. And the third part of our mission We've got a circle mission. We've also got a city mission. Um, when we were at the church, uh, the church planting summit in Quebec, um, I, I told a bunch of people this story, so I, don't, I'm, I apologize if I told all of you this story before, but um, it, we heard a speaker, and he was a church planter from Quebec, and he talked about how they planted their church, and it started to grow in Quebec, which is like a miracle, and it's growing and growing, and then he started to feel like God was saying something to him about his role. And the thing he kept feeling was God saying, I want you to pastor the city. And he kept being like, that's weird. Or I want you to shepherd the city. And he kept seeing these different places or hearing these different things. And he was like, shepherd the city, pastor the city. I get pastoring a church. You're pastoring people who say, we want you to help shepherd us. And that can be hard enough because people don't always want you to shepherd them, even when they want you to shepherd them. Let alone the, the city. They, like, they're not asking for that. How do you shepherd a city? How do you pastor a city? He said, I don't know, but I guess I got to do this. And so they had another person come on and focus on the church pastoring. And he began to take on this role of which... He didn't know what it was. And so he began to just go join different things. He joined the going to city council meetings. He joined the chamber of commerce meetings. And he joined this thing and he volunteered here. And their church kept asking the question, how do we make our city better? How can we as a church improve our city? And then they began to spend money and give time and volunteer and create and improve And they did it over and over and over. And this pastor who says, like, I'm not a business guy, and I'm in the business meetings. I'm like, I'm a fish out of water. I'm not a high finance guy. I'm not a wealth. I don't come from a wealthy background. I'm dealing with a different level of people that I've ever dealt with in politics. One day the mayor calls him, says, I want you to come to my office. So he comes in, and he comes in for the meeting, sits down. She says, I have three things to say to you. The first one is, whatever your church wants to do in our city, go ahead and do it. Because everything you guys do is awesome. Secondly, we have some projects we're working on, and we want you guys to help us with these. Because everything you do is awesome. And it's so great in our city. 
Thirdly, I want to become a Christian, and I want to go to your church. Says the mayor in the meeting, where he's like, is this really happening? This is my mayor meeting? She starts going to the church. It's in the Chamber of Commerce meetings, talking about, oh, yeah, a church, blah, 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 blah. He's like, wow, this is so weird. What does it take for the church, not our church or their church, what does it take for the church to have an impact like that on a city? That people would say, wow, the church is awesome. Like, I don't know, they believe all sorts of wacky stuff, but like, they're awesome. What does it take? Paul writes this, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Ambassadors. It should be a little bit scary. This is word ambassadors. Spokesmen, representatives. I picture like the Canadian ambassador who goes to another country and is like the voice of Canada on this foreign soil. And they go back to their embassy, which is Canadian soil in another country. If you're in trouble in another country, you run to your embassy and you dive and you touch the ground and you're in Canada. This little window of Canada. And you've got this ambassador who's there speaking and speaking on trade issues and and critiquing human rights things and and going and speaking for the voice of Canada in this other place. We speak and act for Christ and his kingdom. And we live the ministry of reconciliation. This This is actually the first known usage of this word. I looked up this in the dictionary and they say, in the dictionary, the Bible is the first known place where we see this word ambassador. Here. When Paul says we have to be ambassadors, representatives. This is an everyday job. If I was walking around and you said, oh, there's the ambassador. Say, hey, I'm the ambassador. I'm going to my day off. So I'm going to go to the, what did I say? I'm going to go to the opera. And at the opera, I might throw tomatoes because this is a sucky opera. People are like, is that the ambassador throwing tomatoes? Be like, I'm not the ambassador right now. It's my day off. Here on my day off, don't worry. <laughs> like, is that the Canadian ambassador? No, 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 no. I, I'm off. I'm off. That's, that, that's on Monday. <laughs> Go to the pub. Hey, is that the Canadian ambassador? He's drunk on the floor? Is that, like, what did he just say? Oh, no, no, no I'm, it's my day off. Don't worry, guys. Not the ambassador today. Or maybe when you're in with friends. My friend, he's the Canadian ambassador. He's telling me all the state secrets. Yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not not telling you that as the ambassador because, you know, I'm not the ambassador today. When is the ambassador not the ambassador? They always are. Even on their day off, they're still, oh, there's the Canadian ambassador on his day off. It's an everyday thing. And we bring the kingdom with us everywhere we go. Kingdom solutions. Kingdom creativity, kingdom finances, kingdom friendship, kingdom sexuality, kingdom family, kingdom life. Everywhere we go, we are the ambassadors. And it's meant to bring city transformation. Jeremiah writes this in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. The voice of God says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I read this at first, I'm like, yes, seek the welfare, pray to the Lord, that's great. But in my mind, I'm picturing 
I'm picturing the Jewish city, picturing Israel, my city, the awesome place where God is at work and doing things. And this is our Christian country. And this is, oh, you pray for Jerusalem. I can pray for Jerusalem. What about the city you've been sent to in exile? Exile? Wait a minute. Exile? You know what exile is? That's some other nation came and took you over, dominated you, and sent everyone out to other places. And now you're living in a foreign city under pagan government. That's the picture. It's the oppressor. It's not a Christian thing. And for Christians, maybe Canada, maybe, begins to feel more and more like exile. Maybe when it started out, oh, this is our Christian nation. Yeah, it's so awesome. Maybe it starts to feel more and more like exile. There's all this stuff in the news right now about the clause in the summer worker applications where all of these Christian organizations and charities have to check off this box that says that we're for reproductive rights, meaning abortion. And there's all this conflict about it, and people are freaking out and afraid. And to anyone who feels fear when they read that or look at that, I want you to think of the government like your government in exile. And then pray for the welfare of our city and our country and work to improve it. For as it improves, we improve. We enjoy. Many years ago, our elder board at Maple Ridge Community Church, we had a community leader come in, and he, he was a university leader, community leader, government leader. And he came in, and he spoke to our board about leadership. And uh, I still remember it was really impactful, and he was a really incredible guy. And in the banter, before we even got started, he was telling us, oh, yeah, I just got back from a trip to China. And they had me there doing leadership training. And I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. Like, I don't want to just get back from China and was working with the government and this and that. And then he said this. He said, during the, the weeks where he was there, they, the government officials pulled him aside and they said, actually, what we really want to know and why we really brought you here is because you're a Christian. And we found that Christian makes, they make the best citizens. Christians pay their taxes. Christians work really hard volunteering and improving the world around them. They, they perform acts of service. They're making things better. They're good citizens. That's the picture of what does it mean to be a Christian. It means the world should be changing around you as you bring the kingdom. When we started our church, we talked about this desire, about our outward mission and our hope for this, that we would be a group of people who would impact the city, both as individuals going and scattering, and also as we gather and as we plan to do things together, that we could make a difference. And I still remember Karen, (laughs) sorry to bring you up, Karen Broders, that um, she emailed me early on in our, so in our first year, we're all doing different things. And she emailed me and she said, hey, you were talking about this and I got this idea. And I'm wondering if this is like crazy or not. And I was like, you always start an email like that and you're like, okay, what are they going to say? What's the idea they're going to tell you that maybe I'm going to have to shoot it down? And this is what she said. We're, I'm part of this um, preschool and they're raising money and selling bags of apples. And so, for $5. And so, I thought it would be really cool if we as a church 
like there's way more people that we could buy bags of apples, like way more than they would have connection to. And then we could take those apples and we could, as another blessing, we could give those apples maybe to like the food bank or the Salvation Army or someone who, somewhere where they give those away and they need them. Like, wouldn't that be neat? Or like, is that okay or is that weird? I was like, yeah, that's weird. We wouldn't want to do that. And we did it. And it was so awesome. Not because like, we bought apples and we gave them away. We've changed the world. But that is what it starts like. You look around in your world and you say, how can I make this better? And then what Karen did was the next step, which is I can make some things better, but our church community can do even more. We multiply that impact together. So, wow, what are the things we can do to multiply the impact? How are you making Maple Ridge or Pitt Meadows a better place? What's around you? Let's stop complaining, writing letters to the editor who complain. Let's do some things to make it better. We have a mandate to make things new. We're ambassadors of a kingdom of restoration and reconciliation. So in conclusion, usually I give my big idea here. Everyone's waiting for my big idea. But I have a story, so I'm going to throw you all off. This is what I want to say to you. So this idea of outward mission is really easy to talk about and be like, yeah, that's awesome, so good. Okay, let's go for lunch. Well, we're having lunch here, but let's have lunch. Okay, now I forgot. What was he talking about? I don't remember. Here's the deal. D.L. Moody, he was this famous preacher, evangelist, and he was asked to come do this convention and teach everyone about mass evangelization in Indianapolis. And they invited him to come in, and they brought him in. And so at whatever time in the evening, they were going to do this big convention. All these people come in to fill this hall. And D.L. Moody got there, and he called the song leader, the music guy, and he said, hey, meet me on the corner of such and such a street um, at at 6 o'clock. And the guy was like, okay. So he went down there, and there's D.L. Moody on the corner, and he's got this box. And he's like, hey, buddy, get on the box and play some music. And the guy was like, okay. He got on the box and sang, and a bunch of people came. And then D.L. Moody said, okay, thank you. And he got on the box, and he started talking. And then the crowd got bigger and bigger. And he said, okay, hey, why don't we all move into the hall down the road here? And all the people started coming after him. And they went into the hall. And more and more people, oh, what's going on here? And they filled this hall. And then he got up on the stage and he started to preach a message of the good news of the gospel. And as he was preaching, the time for convention came. And all these people started coming in. And the place was full. So they're lining up at the back. And then at a certain point, he stopped and he said, hey, everyone, we need to stop our meeting because... We're going to have a convention on how to reach the masses for Jesus. (laughs) It's one thing to talk about it, to have a convention about it. And it's another thing just to go do it. Just to go do it. That's how this works. It's messy. It's gritty. It's not as neat and tidy as we make it sound. This outward mission thing. But it's real. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Jesus, I have to confess, anytime I talk about outward mission or reaching out or sharing my faith, it feels scary. I feel like it's not my personality or it's not my thing or I don't know how to do it. I get afraid. And so right now, I invite you to come in over any of us who might feel the same way that uh, this reaching out thing feels scary or adjusting my insulation to welcome in people who are maybe a little different than I am. Jesus, would you help us to embrace the mission of God that you came and you found us when we were your enemies and then you lived a life that went and found people that other people said were enemies and you welcomed them in love. Jesus, would you wash over us with your love the, the knowledge that we've been reconciled You gave your life so we could be reconciled. And then it's our joy to be able to join this mission with you, that you entrust this to us. It's mind-boggling to me that you make your appeal through us. Lord, would you help us to live the kingdom? Help us, God, not to be perfect, but to walk every day in this mission somehow, to to seek you and be aware of you, what you're doing every day, wherever we are, whatever circles we're in, Lord, that we could make a difference. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done here in our city. We love you. Amen.